good. Welcome. Um, thank you, Caroline, for leading us, and you're welcome. So um, I'm just adding my welcome. I'm Andrew Hudson. I'm the, the interim minister here for a while, and uh, I've been preaching on um, the Holy Spirit. This is the third in the series, and I've sort of started the, the, Holy, the Holy Spirit, you know, from the Creed. I believe in the Holy Spirit. Well, well, who is the Holy Spirit? And our first week, we looked in John's Gospel when Jesus said, I will send another counsellor, another advocate, another, the word paraclete, another one to go beside you. And so we see the Holy Spirit as the one who goes with us. Uh, our other reading on that first week was uh, Acts chapter 2, where the Holy Spirit was poured out. And what was the evidence of that pouring out? There was a sounded like wind in the house. Uh, they looked like tongues of fire on people's heads. And there was language. People spoke in all different languages, the Word of God. So we, we're getting, you know, who is the Holy Spirit? Well, there's that idea of advocate, a paraclete, with. Uh, wind is powerful. Uh, the flame is the presence of God. They had the burning bush and through, through the Exodus, and God's presence was the, the fire, was that symbol of God is with us. And then language, uh, the Word of God going out. So that was sort of our summary of the first week. Second week, I said, well, if that was the Holy Spirit, so what? What's it about? And uh, we saw from Acts chapter 2, from Jesus' ministry of three years, 12 disciples, one who betrayed him, maybe a hundred other disciples, on day one of the Holy Spirit, 3,000 people were baptised. On day one of the Holy Spirit, uh, the church went global. There were people hearing the gospel in their own language that come from Rome, that come from the ends of the known earth, and, the, and God's spirit went. So we, we see this idea that the Holy Spirit just, it's hard to have words, just multiplied hugely Jesus' ministry. And how did that happen? Well, by equipping God's people so Jesus was limited in geographically by one person in one place. The Holy Spirit is unlimited. The Holy Spirit goes with every Christian person. And the Holy Spirit gives every Christian person, we said this last week, every single Christian person, I'm looking at you all, God has given a manifestation. God has filled you with his Spirit if you believe. All believers receive the Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit gives gifts. What are gifts? Gifts are special abilities. What are they like? Well, all the abilities of Jesus. The Bible says it's Jesus who gave gifts. His gifts, his abilities. So that when he ascended into heaven, the church just went with the power and the strength and the ability of Jesus. And then the fruit of the Spirit we talked about is the character of Jesus. And the, the Holy Spirit inside us is producing fruit. We can't just sort of say, oh, apple, we don't produce fruit like that. Fruit grows. It's a harvest that comes from having the Holy Spirit in us. Okay, there's a summary of the last two weeks, if you weren't here the last two weeks. Today I'm saying, okay, what now? We know who the Holy Spirit is. Wow, what a difference the Holy Spirit made. What now? What's, what's it about just at the end of our last reading, the uh, Ephesians reading, there was this de desire that God would want us to be mature. I don't know what you think of that word, mature. 
Maybe you think that's sort of really for old people. I remember when I first started teaching school scripture in high school and trying to sort of get some ground rules in the classroom. I remember writing the word mature across the board back in the days when those chalk and chalkboards. And I said, you know, I reckon that if we had this rule for the classroom, it would go really well. Let's all be mature. And what does that mean? I said, well, a mature person does what they want. A mature person has control of their tongue, has control of their body. So let's just all be mature. Well, anyway, if God wants a church to be mature, I know what does that look like? And I sort of thinking, the church is a family. God is the father. What do we want for families? You know, if I was to ask kids, we have one child. Well, we're all children. Children of our parents. Sorry, I said our child. You know, what do you want from your parents? What, what do kids want from parents? Well, we want to be loved. We want to feel secure. We want to belong. And then, of course, as we grow, we want freedom. We want to be acknowledged for who we are, but encouraged to, to be different to our parents. And if I say, parents, you know, what do you want from your kids? Well, you'd probably say something similar. That sense of maturity, to, to grow up, to, to be good citizens, to, to love, to, to contribute. So I sort of see the Holy Spirit's job is that. It's, it's helping us to belong to the family. You know, we've been adopted as children into God's family. There is a oneness. And we had that great hymn, you know, one faith, one Lord, one church. So I got it right. Um, and again, the Ephesians reading, there were seven ones. I should pull it out. My memory is not that good. So we had here, you know, the unity through the spirit, the bond of peace, one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of us all who is over all and through all and in all. We, we have this picture of unity and security and belonging. And we have a sense of God is the head, we have a, a boss, we have direction. Everything is good. That's that sense of unity. But there's also diversity. And again, kids, you know, we want to be different to our parents. We want to explore, we want to be ourselves. And so we have this few verses there on unity, then the next paragraph starts, but... We've got the unity, we're all in Christ, but to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. And we have gifts, and we have a variety of gifts, so we all contribute in different ways. That's part of the Holy Spirit's work to be unity, to be one, one church, and yet to be diverse, to be ourselves. God has blessed each of us with uniqueness. And God's Holy Spirit isn't trying to bash that out of you. Sometimes we think the system is trying to stop us from being ourselves. God has created you uniquely. And the Holy Spirit is there enriching you. Empowering you to be yourself. Okay, let's go to uh, our other reading, Romans chapter 12. And... Um, Romans chapter 12 is just, I don't know, one of those amazing chapters, and it really is a summary of the whole book of Romans. So if you've read Romans before, thought, far out, what is this about? It is so complicated. The first 11 chapters are telling us of God's mercy. I personally think mercy is the best word in the world. 
Because mercy is how God looks at us. He loves us. In Romans chapter 8, we get a picture here of, of God's love. Um, sorry, chapter 5, verse 8. Um, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. See, God doesn't look at us and say, hey, you're pretty good, I'll die for you, I'll forgive you, I love you. No, he sees us all as people who have rejected him, all as sinful people who are not good enough and says, I love you anyway. That's what mercy is. I love you no matter what. doesn't matter what you do. doesn't matter how bad you are. doesn't matter if you turn up in prison. God says, I love you. And it's his mercy that comes through in all these chapters in Romans. I'll just read a few verses. Chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's by believing. Faith is the way we receive God's mercy. We believe it and we receive it. Uh, chapter, uh, chapter 8, verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So we come to chapter 12 and we get this, therefore, therefore, everything I've said before in chapters 1 to 11, I urge you, and this is what I want to do this morning, I want to urge you, I want to invite you, I want to encourage you. The Ephesians reading, I don't know whether you noticed, you probably didn't, it went pretty quick. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you, Verse 1 of chapter 4 of Ephesians. So I've got this, the same thing here. Paul's writing to the Romans, I urge you. To the Ephesians, I'm, I urge you. What do we call Glebians? To those who live in Glebe and surround who come to church here, I urge you. So what is it that, that God wants us to do? I urge you, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Or the other versions, this is your spiritual act of worship. You see, we worship God in spirit. God is spirit, we can't see him. And we are spirit. I mean, the real me is spirit. You can't see the real me. Yes, I'm six foot four. Yes, I'm old. But that's not me. And it's funny when you think of age or you think of things you do, you think, oh, is that me? So how you think of yourself in relationship to God, that's your spirit. That's your, spirit's just a nebulous word, but it's your thinking, it's your feeling, it's your being, it's who you are. You know, when we go to a funeral and we put a body in the ground or cremated, we, we know that the body is, is not that important. We get a new body, but the spirit of the person, the, the, the being of the person, we know is with God. Okay, so what's this spiritual sacrifice all about? Now, in the Old Testament, sacrifices were required to help people um, be right with God, that idea of being justified. So when we've sinned, when we disobey God, and again, parents, when kids do the wrong thing, we have punishments, we have time out, we have whatever, we have consequences. And God says, if you disobey me, if you walk away from me, Adam and Eve, when you turn your back on me, the consequence is death. And so the Old Testament system was that an animal would die in your place. So when you went to worship God, 
uh, you'd line up an animal to die in, in your place so that you could be forgiven. And there's a whole pile of <laughs> rules on how all this was done and different sacrifices for different things, but I'll just read one for example. Um, if you've committed a sin, that the person must bring their offering for the sin they've committed, a female goat in this case, different things, uh, with no defect. They are to lay their hand on the head of the sin offering and slaughter it at the place of the bird offering. Then the priest is to take some of the blood with his finger and put it on the horns of the altar of the bird offering and pour out the rest of the blood at the base of the altar. They shall remove all the fat, just as the fat is removed from the fellowship offering. The priest shall burn it on the altar an aroma pleasing to the Lord. In this way, the priest will make atonement for them and they will be forgiven. So it's a complicated process, but the whole concept of sacrifices is that you would put your hand on an animal and say, instead of me dying, I deserve to die because I've disobeyed God, this animal is dying. So there's that sense of transferring. Jesus was the last sacrifice to be made. Jesus is called the Lamb of God. And he came and his death on the cross was the altar. And as he died, he was the animal dying for the sin of the people. So when we come to church, we, don't, we have a table up the front there. We don't call it an altar. Well, technically we don't. The prayer book calls it the holy table or the uh, communion table. And if you want to go, the closest thing to an altar is the cross. Because that's where Jesus sacrificed himself. And when we come to the communion service in a little while, we talk about Jesus offering himself once and for all. So his sacrifice was for the sins of the people before, present and future. And by our faith, we connect ourselves to Jesus and say, I believe that Jesus died on the cross, that that sacrifice on the altar was for me. And when we believe that in our hearts and we confess Jesus is Lord, we've already said the creed, then we'll be saved. So that's who we are. The Holy Spirit is saying to us, no need for sacrifices, but how about I urge you, says Paul. This is not a law, this is not a rule, this is a request. I urge you to offer yourselves as living sacrifices, no, no altars, no, no dying, no blood, but to give yourself to become mature in Christ. And by the Holy Spirit in you, using your gifts to serve the church and the world, using your character to be an example with the fruit of the Spirit, that the world will say, hey, I want to go to church where you go to church. I want to believe what you believe. Tell me, what is it about you? You are a witness. You are the person that I want to be. And that's what the Holy Spirit is on about. So we're really now, today, down to a choice. And the choice in Romans 12, verse 1, Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Verse 2, do not conform to the pattern of this world. 
This is the choice. You see, when you get up in the morning, we make choices all day. You know, the first choice is, well, you know, putting that foot on the ground. You know, we choose, I don't know, for me, do I have my coffee first or my porridge or, you know, whatever it is, the shower, getting dressed. We make choices. Paul is saying, don't make your choices as the world would, the values of the world, uh, the pop culture, but instead be transformed by the renewing of your mind. In other words, be led by the Spirit. Allow God's Spirit to fit you. Allow God's Word to fit you. Allow God's people to fit you and be transformed. So that's the choice. We're going to sing a hymn in a minute, and the musos might come up. And it's a hymn that uh, was requested, but uh, I've, I've kept it for this Sunday because it's a, it's a hymn of commitment. And uh, I've got a, a teaspoon here, and those of you who read recipe books will know that the shorthand for teaspoon is TSP. And uh, I've got a TSP prayer, and the T is thank you. In view of God's mercy. Thank you, Lord. Thank you that Jesus sacrificed once and for all on the cross, died for me. Thank you. S, sorry. Sorry that I haven't lived the perfect life. Sorry that I haven't uh, lived the way that you would want me to live. And please, please help me to live the Christian life. Now, if you've never prayed a prayer like that, I'm going to pray it now and, and, and believe it. Because the Bible says if we believe in our hearts that God, that Jesus died on the cross and we confess with our lips that Jesus is Lord, we will be saved. So that's my first prayer. And then the hymn is the second prayer. And the hymn comes from uh, Isaiah chapter 6. And uh, Isaiah is hearing how bad things are in the world. And he says, oh, woe is me. I'm just as bad. I'm ruined. I'm a man of unclean lips. I've got excuses. I can't serve God. I'm no good. And the angel comes with a hot coal and puts it on his lips and says, you are now clean. You're now forgiven. See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And I said, Here am I. Send me. Let me pray. And please pray with me. Uh, sorry, thank you, please. Lord God, those of us who are Christians, those of us who aren't, those who are thinking, sorry is the starting point. And we're sorry, Lord God, that we're not up to your standard, we're, we're people who have ignored you, we do what we don't want to do and don't do, do what we do want to do. Paul calls himself a wretched man. Lord, we're sorry, I'm sorry for who those things that I do that offend you when I ignore you. Thank you, Lord God. Thank you, Jesus, that you died on the cross, the sacrifice to take away the sins of the world. Thank you. Thank you, you died for me. And please, Lord, help me to serve you to serve the church, to, to use my gifts, to, to take on the character of Jesus so that I might be for you uh, in the world. Amen.
Amen. Everyone would like to stand.